Before we get into this episode, if you enjoy the Cricket Mentoring Podcast, I'd love it if you could please take 60 seconds to leave a review, as it helps us get heard by more people. G'day legends, welcome back or welcome to the Cricket Mentoring Podcast. The idea of this podcast is to share the unique stories of cricketers, coaches and performance experts with the aim of giving you, serious and committed cricketers, coaches or parents, some techniques, strategies and inspiration so you can become a better and more confident cricketer and ultimately live a better, happier life. This episode is with one of our favourites at Cricket Mentoring. A fan favourite, one of our incredibly exciting young athletes, and a good mate of mine, Teague Wiley. Having just turned 17, Teague is still very early in his cricket journey, but has achieved a lot in the past couple of years to make him one of the brightest young batting prospects in WA and Australia. Having played the whole season as a 16-year-old, Teague opened the batting for Rockingham Mandra in the first grade competition and scored 627 runs at an average of 44.79 to have the 10th most runs in the competition. His outstanding and really consistent performances helped his side finish second on the ladder at the end of the season and saw him finish fifth in the umpire-voted best and fairest award for the competition. Those of you that have followed Cricket Mentoring for a while will know that Teague has been one of our much-publicised athletes and has grown his own little following amongst the Cricket Mentoring community. I've been coaching and mentoring him for the past four years after I reached out to him via Instagram, and I'm really proud of not only the cricketer he is becoming, but also the confident and humble young man he is, which I'm sure you'll get an insight to through the way he speaks in this episode. While he is still young and has a long, long way to go in the game, cricket is in his DNA and he has an exceptional understanding of the game for his age, which he talks about through the episode. I was really excited to do this episode, as even though I know him well, I knew I'd learn more about him from this conversation. In this episode, Teague shared how his dad taught him the fundamentals of the game that are the pillars of the way he plays now. How one shot at a national carnival changed everything and gave him the belief to keep pushing his game and career forward. How the cricket mentoring tour to India two years ago helped his game against spin and how he uses those lessons in grade cricket. How his emotions were on a roller coaster during an incredible month that saw him score his first, first grade century, followed by three ducks in a row and how he bounced back from that. How he sets up his batting plan for different formats and how he tries to bat all day in two-day cricket, plus a whole lot more. We have a lot of teenage listeners who I have no doubt will get something out of this conversation with a teenager navigating his way through the early stages of his grade cricket career while having big dreams to keep improving and go further in the game. To follow Teague, you can find him on Instagram at at TeagueWiley04. T-E-A-G-U-E-W-Y-L-L-I-E-04. If you enjoyed this conversation, please send him a DM letting him know you listened to the podcast and enjoyed it. Now let's get into this episode with 17-year-old Teague Wiley. G'day legends and welcome to this episode of the Cricket Mentoring Podcast. This is a very special episode. I'm here with my boy, my good mate Teague Wiley. Teague, welcome. Thanks for having me. So guys, this is going to be slightly different. Normally we're chatting to cricketers who are sort of in the middle of their professional career, at the end of their professional career, or coaches. This is a young man who's at the very start of his career, not a professional yet, but hopefully um, has many, many good things to, to come on the cricket field. So Teague's been very generous um, in his time, and I'm really looking forward to sharing his story, a story I know a lot about, but also learning a little bit more about. So. Teague, 
take us back to the start. Take us back to your, what is your first memory or your earliest memory of playing cricket? Obviously, you come from a family um, of cricket. Your dad was a, a really good cricketer in his own right, Johnny. Um, so tell us about your earliest memory of playing cricket. My earliest memories of playing cricket would have to be in the backyard with my, with my dad. He um, was a massive influence from a young age. Probably up until the age of about three or four, I didn't actually like cricket. My dad thought I was going to grow up playing footy or something else. but <laughs> Which he would have been disappointed about. Yeah, he would have been. But um, no, I ended up picking up a cricket bat and have loved it ever since. So backyard would have to yeah. be my first memory. Same, same as a lot of kids in Australia. And obviously your sister, older sister Georgia, who I work with as well, is an excellent cricketer in her own right. So there must have been a few battles in the backyard between you and George. Yeah, there was a few battles back in the day. But um, yeah, probably she probably didn't get as much into cricket as I was at that age, she was probably a little bit later, probably when she was nine, ten, when she first started getting into cricket. But um, yeah, there was a few battles in the backyard, a few videos that are that are hidden away in the in the camera roll. But yeah, a few good battles. Yeah, nice. And George is, as I said, excellent cricketer in her own right. So, no doubt, some of the things that your dad and, as I said, he was a very good cricketer in his, in his own right. Um, some of the things he taught you back then are still are, are the fundamentals you have in your game now. What are some of those principles and, and philosophies he taught you when you first learnt cricket? Dad taught me some of the best advice at that young age that I've ever gotten. He, he's a very old school coach. He's very, he played 30 years of A-grade cricket down in the Mandurah Peel region, so he knows a lot about it. His biggest fundamentals is hit the ball along the ground, play straight, don't slog, and I think... That bit of that just advice there is some of the best stuff for junior kids just starting out cricket. I know the big bash is very enticing for the younger generation at the moment as it's the probably the most advertised. So, so a lot of kids starting want to hit the ball far and all that, but that was really ingrained with me as a young when I was a lot younger is red ball cricket is the is the pretty much the top the the hierarchy of cricket and that's something I've always aspired to be. So batting long periods of time, hitting the ball on the ground that's something that's really been ingrained in my batting. And you can see that that's what you have now. Obviously, you've just turned 17, and we're going to talk more about your season this year, but you pride yourself, and, and your game is built around absorbing good pit spells of bowling, batting long periods, and it's obviously gone back to what Johnny told, taught you in the backyard and in the nets in those early days, um, and he's done a fantastic job. So tell us a little bit more about your parents, the impact they've had. Obviously, John cricketer has taught you cricket but obviously your mum Marnie as well has, has played a major role in developing you as a person as well. My parents have had an absolute huge impact on myself as a, not only as a cricketer but as a person as well. Their morals are unflawed, they're great people and all that which I think is almost more important than as a, being a cricketer. Um, yeah their, their support's been been awesome driving me up to Perth for every session Going to, whether it's rocking Amanda or up at the Wacker, they always go out of their way to make sure I'm there on time, I'm not late, and give me the best possible opportunity to succeed. Yeah, and always supporting you wherever you, whatever your dreams, your ambitions are. So I think people and kids often forget to sort of take a moment and thank their parents. So obviously really, really important in, in your development. Now tell us about your, give us, try and paint our viewers and, and the listeners a, a picture of you as a sort of a 10 or 12 year old, were you hitting balls every day? You're obviously still young, you've only just turned 17 and we'll get into sort of your training and your preparation in recent times a little bit later, but when you were sort of that sort of nine to 13, um, what did you, your, your weeks look like then? 
When I was nine or 10, I used to have this, and I think it's been the best thing for my cricket ever. I used to have a, a piece of rope hanging down with a, a sock and a ball in it. And I used to promise myself every day that I'd hit it a thousand times, no matter what. Wow. And there was actually a write up on it in the paper when I was an eight or a nine year old that I'd hit a thousand balls a day on this thing. And I'd promise myself I'd do it every day. And you did? And I did. Yeah, wow. And um, I probably stopped doing that more when I started having proper net sessions and, and structured training sessions up at, in Perth or at Rockingham Mandra. But when you had your, your standard under 10s or under 11s training at your club sessions, they're not the most structured. So I think just hitting balls, whether it's with a stump or a normal bat, a skinny bat, I think hitting, the, hitting a cricket ball is the best thing for you. And just grooving that position and that bat yeah. yeah, and I think that just reminds me of there was something put on social media a couple of days ago of Ash Barty, the world number one tennis player, and her parents um, are, are doing um, renovations in their garage and they've seen the, the pretend net that she had on the wall there and she used to hit, apparently she used to hit thousands of balls against the wall inside the garage and that's where she learnt how to play tennis and that... To me, sounds like you were just there as a youngster, just grooving your bat swing and grooving your positions and learning how to move your body. And before you even got into the nets, yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome, a great sort of insight for any really youngsters who might be watching or listening. Now, you've had a lot of potential, and you were picked in um, the Western Australian side as an under twelve, um, and I think you were you went away from that carnival twice. Yep, yep. You then went away um, into the under fifteens, and the first year you didn't quite perform as an underage player but the second year you went away to the under 15s in Queensland a little over two years ago now um, I was actually coaching the Northern Territory side of that carnival and it was really really nice to be able to we'd been working together for a while and to be able to watch you play on the other field when WA were playing near the NT and um, and talk to you a lot but there was at the end of that carnival you got picked for the Cricket Australia um, under 16s national sort of squad um, and on the back of having a really good Carnival. What what was it that in that carnival that clicked for you? Um, the biggest turning point in that carnival was probably the third game against New South Wales. I had two low scores to start off, and prior to that, I had three national carnivals where my top score was probably twenty five, at an average in tens. So I didn't actually perform that great in my first few, but I made this eight against New South Wales, and I spoke to Skulls before that innings. And we spoke about just going out there with freedom. I know I've got the ability to do it. And I, I knew it, the three carnivals prior to that, I knew I had it. And then went out and opened the batting and facing the fastest bowler in the comp, I hit this cover drive and everything just clicked and I absolutely whacked it. And that was probably the turning point, knowing that I, I was good enough. And I, I was dismissed for probably eight or 10 in that game, but that was the massive turning point. And I think ever since then, it's just been on the way up. Yeah, because I remember that shot. I was sitting on the side watching, and Buck, who's my great mate, had an interest in Teague through me, and, and he was there as a selector. It was like he saw that shot and was like, wow, that's the best shot I've seen this carnival. And, <laughs> and even though, like you say, you didn't score runs, um, you, you sort of it gave you that belief. And I think the next game you got 40 odd against South Australia, and then a 70, and then an 80 not out, and you ended up second or third on the runs for the carnival. You got picked, and like you say, it's, it's, it's been a real turning point. But. I think it gives hope to a lot of youngsters who, who might be watching this. And the idea of this podcast, even though you're still young and you've not really made it yet, you've got a long way to go, we're trying to give some, some inspiration and some sort of learnings to, the, to other youngsters, but that you didn't dominate from a young age at those carnivals. You sort of struggled. You had your sort of setbacks. And even at that carnival, 
you started poorly yeah. and then you found your way and now you've become the player you've become. So a really, really good lesson and, and something that um, it, it can just take one shot sometimes. It can just take one yeah. shot to give you that, that belief. So after those championships, um, that was in February as a 15-year-old, you then came to India with us on our tour two years ago in April 2019. Um, and pretty much in India, it was bat all day, every day. And yeah. we were there for nine or 10 days and you basically didn't get out of the nets at all or, or just sort of tried to bat for the whole innings when we played a few matches. What was it about that India tour that sort of really you remember as a, as a learning from there? Oh, I, was, I was in my element in India. I remember having my hits over in, in West Australia. I would have to bicker everyone to get out there and have a hit with me. I'd have to fight dad to get in the backyard and underarm me a few balls. That's why I love the ball and the string because I could just go on my own way. But um, over in India, everyone was willing to bowl to you all day. And that's something I've really cherished over there. You'd get there at eight o'clock in the morning and you'd leave at four and people were still bowling. So that's something that really stuck in, stuck with me. I think that's their, their love for the game over there is, is untouched. They just, they live and breathe cricket and yeah. they'll go out of your way to bowl to you. Yeah, and, and you certainly made the most of that with hours and hours of batting. And, yeah. and that's what really impressed me about you. And I really, even though I've always thought from the moment I sort of first met you, I've always thought you've, you've got something special about you. But when we were in India, it was really reinforced by the fact that you just wanted to keep batting. There was um, a group of 10 of us and um, most of the other the players that were there, they'd hit for a couple of hours and they'd have a break and they'd go back to the hotel and then they'd come back in the afternoon or whatever and, and you just wanted to keep going, keep going, keep going. It's this love of batting. Does that just, do you think that's something that you've just grown up with, just this love of batting? Yeah, I've, I've, ever since I picked that bat up as a four or five-year-old, I've just had this love for the game and love for batting. I, I just, I'm really interested in the fundamentals of the game, your technique, how it works. I love watching the professionals and how they go about their game, whether it's bat slow like a Bajara or they go out there and take the game on like a like a Joss Butler or something like that. It's um, something that's always really interested me and I take close notice to. And something that was a highlight of mine from that tour was your birthday where we smashed some cake <laughs> in your face. Yeah, that got me by surprise. Yeah, we uh, p- really pinned your arm back and <laughs> got, got the cake as you were celebrating. Was, it was your 15th birthday? 14th. Four, no, it was 15th, two years ago. Oh, you were 14, turned 15. Oh, yeah, 15th, yeah. Just turned 17. So, yeah. Yeah, something pretty special to, uh, to be in India during your, for your 15th birthday. And while we were there, it was obviously playing in India, the wickets are different. Yeah. Um, and you got to face a lot of spin. And you worked really hard at playing your sweep shot, which, which really has helped you develop your, your game against spin since then. Yep. That's something that you, you went away with an ambition to try and get better, wasn't it? Yeah. A sweep shot is something that I've always wanted to master at. And I don't think you can master a shot, but... That's a shot I really wanted to bring into my artillery. As you watch Matty Hayden when he went to India, he was just sweeping everything and it really played into his hands. He was really successful at it. And that's, yeah, like I said, I want to bring that into my game where it's, if you've got a field that's, you've got no one out deep square and this guy's bowling tight lines, sweep, sweep shot can change the field and it really can yeah, change, change the game pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And so we went through a few masterclasses, but an important part of that for you, wasn't it? And the same for me when I was learning the sweep, albeit at an older age than what you were, was about making mistakes. You, we sort of, you were able to face so much bowling and, and do throwdowns and whatever that you were able to just sweep one, miss it, sweep one, miss it, sweep one, hit it, sweep one, miss it, sweep one, hit it, and start to get better just through trial and error, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the best part about it. And 
over there in India, they're so accepting. You can make a mistake. Yeah, they're competitive, but they know you make mistakes. You're always trying to get better, and you're not going to get better without making mistakes. So that's something they were really accepting about. Like, you tell them before you go in there, yeah, I'm just going to practice my sweep. They're like, sweet, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And what I, so moving into when we got back from India, you had the off season, and then later that year, you made your first grade debut at the age of 15. Um, one of the youngest players sort of to, to make your debut in the last sort of 10 years. Not, not many people debut in first grade at 15, but in the final game of that season, you made 93 not out um, against Midland Guildford. And on that day, you swept a lot, didn't you? Yeah, the sweep shot helped me a lot during that innings. The, the bowler was, he was a WA19 spinner the year before and um, was bowling pretty tight lines. And I was getting bogged down a little bit because he had his two straight men up and I thought, you know what, if I don't sweep here, I've got to try something else. And then, yeah, just got down on one knee and swept and went for four. I was like, gee, this isn't that bad. So yeah. I've done it ever since. Lovely, lovely. And so that obviously, 93 not out, final game of the year, would have given you great sort of amounts of confidence. And I know we've spoken, there was innings before that against Suvi where you got 40 against a really good attack, some guys who were sort of second 11 or thereabouts, and, and that gave you confidence that you were good enough for first grade, you were ready for that level, but the 93 not out in the final game would have really reinforced that, yeah, I'm good enough for this level, didn't it? Yeah, that, the 93 not out really instilled a bit of confidence in me that I 100% know I'm good enough to play this level. And that 30-something against Subiaco earlier in the year was probably the best I've batted almost in my life. I don't think one ball didn't hit the middle of the bat. And then nicked off and I walked off pretty annoyed that I got out, but I still felt really good and I knew I was building up from that point. Yeah. And that then led into this season, which we've just completed. You start the season um, as a 16-year-old. You obviously played the whole season as a 16-year-old. First game of the year, 108 not out. I remember sort of um, following quite closely. We were batting second in our game and I think I got a duck and <laughs> and I was watching the live stream while watching our game and you were 108 not out, an incredibly mature innings. You got your team over the line um, against University who were finalists the year before, one of the sort of better sides in the competition and and that was probably as good as you've played and, and tell us about that experience and, and that day. That experience, it was, it was pretty special, I, I'm not going to lie. Um, University batted first and got a pretty mediocre total on a, on a good wicket, 220, 230, which is still very defendable in, in grade cricket, if you bowl well in that. Went out there and so I was walking out the bat and I just, I just felt pretty good. And then I um, left the first few balls and then I hit this cut shot for four and I've just middled it and just like, I felt pretty on and that was pretty nice. Yeah, and then the thing that was really um, impressive to me and, and I was really pleased with was you play against spin because you've always batted at the top of the order. You've always um, been good against pace. Um, and obviously, India, you worked on your sweep and your game against spin. But the way you controlled those middle overs against spin and you used your feet, you knocked it around to long on, you swept, you sort of, I think you did play the reverse where you, you, had a, you got dropped and had a bit of luck. But it was a really, really impressive innings during those, those middle periods. And you must have been happy with how you played spin. Yeah, I was pretty happy the way I, I did um, play spin that innings. It was something that I've always tried to improve at my game, being a top order bat. You don't face as much as a, as a guy batting number four and five will. So it was nice to be able to control the, the middle part of that innings and make a good little foundation for the back end to 
make a few. Yeah, nice. Well, yeah, very, very special moment. I'm sure you'll remember for the rest of your life, your first, first grade 100. Then it was a really tough period. Yeah. You went from extreme highs to really extreme lows where three ducks in a row. And I was almost couldn't believe it when the sort of the third one happened. But to give our viewers a bit of an insight into how you were feeling and what we, sort of you were going through at that period. Oh, I was feeling pretty down in the dumps at that point, um, especially after being on the on the high. You go from chocolates to bored lollies. So it's um, it's I feel like that's a part of opening the batting. You um, you know, you can get out early. You can get good balls. You can nick one, kick one. It's just the way. It's the part of the job. So obviously, yeah, felt pretty down in the dumps, but I didn't necessarily feel out of form. I felt out of runs, and I've said that before, and I stand by it. it it's just a part of opening the batting, you cop good ones. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know you were low on confidence, but you were still working hard. You were still doing all the right things. And um, it just, yeah, sometimes things don't go your way. But you bounce back from that. You, um, I remember following the scorecard again and seeing you were sort of nine not out of 60-odd balls overnight and then speaking to you that night and saying, what happened? How'd you get off the mark? And you told me about <laughs> a straight drive for three um, to, to get off the um, the Audi four ducks in a row. So that must have been a big relief. And then that innings against Fremantle, who had Jai Richardson, Aussie Quick, Jai Richardson in their team. I think you made 60-odd off 250 balls or something like that. You batted for hours and then sort of got out playing a backward drive. But that would have then sort of reinforced that, yeah, okay, with the doubts that were there after three ducks, yeah, I'm ready, I'm back, I'm good enough for this level. That was my most satisfying innings of the season. I think it took me 14 or 15 balls to get off the mark, so my legs were pretty shaky after that. But, um, yeah, got off the mark with a straight drive, which is probably the most relieving shot I played all year. And, yeah, it was nine off 60-odd overnight, and then come out the next day, Jai Richardson's got the new ball, and... That was a really good challenge. Um, was probably 11 off 115 balls at one point. I scored three runs in the first hour of the day. And then after that, I started the spinner come on, swept a little bit. That relieved a lot of pressure. Was probably 30 off 160 odd at lunch. And then come out afterwards and got a few and yeah, managed to throw away a well, chance to get 100. Well, that's that comes back to your fundamentals as a player is just bat long periods, keep the ball on the ground, and, and you did exactly that. And that's something that was a hallmark of your batting this year was your ability to bat time, and we'll talk a bit more about that. Let's take a break from Teague for a minute and go back to our last conversation with New Zealand all-rounder Daryl Mitchell. Going back to that period, you, you sort of did well that second season, average 50-odd. Um, you got picked in a New Zealand A tour to the subcontinent. Which um, and then it was about six years or so till you played your first, made your international debut. So in that period, there must have been some ups and some downs. Um, tell, talk us through that sort of six-year period. You're obviously very close when you went away with New Zealand Day. You were sort of next in line, but you didn't quite make it for another six seasons. What happened in that time? Yeah, I guess when I first started um, playing first class, I was I was quite a how do I put it quite a stubborn character. So. I, you know, I've come up, I've got this technique, this is how I play, this is what I do. Um, obviously did well the first year and that probably reinforced that this is how I want to play the game. Um, go to India and Sri Lanka on an eight-week trip with New Zealand A and get spun out and think from growing up in New Zealand and then Perth, never even never experienced any conditions like that. And I thought my game would be able to handle uh, playing in those conditions. And yeah, obviously that didn't go as well as I would have liked. Um and it probably opened my eyes that, okay, actually, 
I do need to to be adaptable and be able to actually um, adapt my game to different scenarios and conditions. I can't just play one way all the time. Now let's get back to Teague. From from there, another score, 60 not out at the Wacker. Um, and then a couple of low scores. And I remember having another conversation with you, and obviously we're going to talk about your preparation and training um, a bit more, but we don't we haven't had a chance to hit together as much as we probably like because you've got so much other cricket going on, but we're always having conversations and and you were pretty flat then, two low scores. You were pretty disappointed that game before Christmas. You thought you might have got a bad decision and, and you were just a bit over it. There was some sledging and there was a few things going on and you were just like, I want a break. How important was that Christmas break for you and what did you do during that period? That Christmas break came at the perfect time. I was a little bit sick of cricket at that point. Not like I don't want to play. I was just a little bit run down and... I pretty much said to myself, I'm not going to pick up a bat for a week and a bit, two weeks. And that little break there was a pretty big, um, Just pretty much, yeah, pretty much a launch pad for the second half of the season, which was a lot better than the first. Yeah, so what did you do during that period? You didn't pick up a bat, lots of golf, lots of family Lots of golf, family time, yeah, chilling with a mate or two, and that was really important. Yeah, and I think a lot of people underestimate the value of having a break. And freshening up because you'd done so much cricket all pre winter pre-season into the season you were training four or five times a week which we'll talk about you just need those times where you can get away don't you yeah the the downtime i think is almost as important as training all the time if you're if you're tired and you're fatigued you're not going to perform as well as if you're fully rested and ready ready to go yep and then after christmas you came out you did really well you got 60 against us perth cricket club who had an attack, Liam Guthrie and Josh Nicholas, two of the best fast bowlers in the comp. I think you really proved a lot to people um, then that, that you're one of the best, not only best young players in the comp, but you're one of the best players in the comp at that stage. You, you went through a really consistent period where you were scoring 40s most weeks and you got a few 70s. That must have been nice, but also a bit frustrating that you weren't kicking on and getting those big scores, but gee, you were consistent then. You must have been playing some good cricket then. Yeah, I feel like the first two... To three weeks after that Christmas break, I was playing my best cricket. I was digging in. I played country week and got a got a few scores, but and let's not underestimate that. You got 160 in one game. You batted <laughs> all day, and and that really would have helped that time in the middle. I'm a big fan of playing games, regardless yeah. of the level, regardless of who you're playing for. If you can play games and spend time in the middle, not only does it do does it do a world of good for your confidence, but it's where you learn and grow and develop as a player, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You learn your most batting out in the middle and if you're not playing cricket you're not learning as much as you could be like if you're in the nets you're not learning as much as you are playing so that time in the middle is is priceless yeah and so then moving on from there um let's move into your preparation and your um your training and stuff give everyone a, a bit of an insight into what your average normal week would look like what did you do monday obviously during the season you're at school before you've now started your apprenticeship. Tell us a bit about what a week would, normal week would look like for you. At the, the start of the season, I was doing my Tuesday at Rocky Amandra, my Wednesday at the Wacker, and my Thursday at Rocky. So the, just the three days there was pretty, was pretty hectic schedule, schedule, but not, nothing like I was later in the year. Yeah. Um, then I decided to not drop out of school. I, I got a full-time job and started a, a turf management apprenticeship, which is probably been one of the best things I've done. It didn't, not like I hated school, I, I actually really enjoyed the people there. Tramby College was great for me. They did a lot of work, but I'm more of a, an outdoor person. I'd rather 
be outside digging holes, doing all that stuff, as opposed to sitting in the classroom. Um, so starting full-time work was, was really good, although it's physically taxing, which is why I value my downtime mm. a lot more than I used to. Mm. Um, I was probably around November, December, I was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was all, all up at the Wacker practicing. Tuesday, I was lucky enough to train with the remaining Sheffield Shield members in the, the Wackernets, which I, I learnt heaps from, which I, I don't thank them enough. I can't thank them enough for them. Yeah. Um, Wednesday was under 19s. That was skills, not skills, that was um, fitness and fielding. And then Thursday was your skills. Yeah. And then on top of that, every now and again, you'd, you'd fit in a hit with me on a Friday or something and you'd do a bit of cricket coaching yourself with the, some of the younger players, wouldn't you? Yeah, on um, Mondays and Fridays were my two days, mainly Mondays, but they were my two available days for coaching because I, I like helping out the, the up-and-coming generation. And then you, I remember you, a couple of years ago or 12 months ago maybe, you weren't um, that fit. You sort of, I remember Buck making a comment that you've got all the attributes to run a really fast 2K, but you weren't very very good at it. And it's But your fitness is something you took a lot more seriously this year, isn't it? And you, you'd spend a lot more time on your sort of your physical side of things in you. Yeah, and I thought it was a really obvious choice for me to get as fit as possible. As as you've said, I like batting long periods of time. I really like spending my time in the middle. And if you're not the fittest you can be, it's not going to help you as much as as something else would. So I feel like being fit helps you bat long periods and it helps you in the field too. That 90 overs in the dirt can be a long day. But if you're as fit as you can be, that will go a bit quicker than if you're not fit. Absolutely. Now, you batted, and this is something you should be very proud of, you batted more minutes this year than anyone else in the comp, 1,851 minutes, an incredible amount in, in 16 games. That's 110 minutes more than anyone else, nearly two hours more than anyone else. You finished 10th on the most runs, so even though you didn't score as many runs, you were out there for longer than anyone. What is your recipe for batting long periods? Obviously, it goes back to what your dad taught you in the backyard, but... How do you do it? I feel um, one of the biggest things that helped me this year with batting long periods was rocking. Um, Craig Simmons had a chat to me at the start of the season and said, in red ball cricket, we don't care how fast you score. Your job is to go out there and bat. They've, they've picked me because they know I'm good enough and they've picked me to go and play my role, which is to bat as long as I can. And that's something that I really felt helped me because I went out there and even if I was... 10 off 70, they, they, I know that I've got backing from the coaches, I've got backing from my captains, I've got back, I'm back from my players, so that's my role. I can go out there and bat as long as I want. They don't care because they know that's what I've been picked for and that's my role as a player. Yeah. And I, Getting those tough runs up the top can make it easier for the guys batting in the middle order. Yeah. So with that sort of confidence that the group knew that that's what you're doing, you just were able to just go. And, and as we've said, you just love batting. And we'll get a bit more into your post-ball and pre-ball routines in a minute. So it was just that, yeah, you just wanted to keep batting for as long as you could. You didn't really worry about runs, did you? No. I had guys around me who were able to score. Aaron Burridge scores pretty quick. Corey Wosley plays with the most freedom I've seen in a young cricketer ever. And we've got a pretty naturally scoring team of cricketers. So I knew that I could just play my role and the runs would be scored around me. Yeah, perfect. Now... I've just, just before we got in here, I compared you to Virat Kohli. That's a pretty uh, <laughs> That's big a big, comparison. big comparison, but, yeah. um, You're not quite at his level yet. You've got a bloody long way to go. Very but long way. 
Like Virat, you really enjoy chasing runs um, in white ball cricket. Your record this year when you guys batted second was phenomenal in white ball games. What is it about chasing that you enjoy? The chasing bit I enjoy is you know how fast you have to score and you can really just make a game plan, right? It doesn't matter if I don't score a lot in the first 10 overs because we're chasing a low total. I can catch up later and I'm a, I'm a big catch up player. I don't look too much into what I am in the first five or 10 overs. It's what I am after that because I can catch up. Even then, if, if I get out early after 10 overs, the shine's off the ball. It's still easier for the other guys. So yeah, the chasing, I've always enjoyed it. Um, even as an under 13 and now, it's just something I've really enjoyed. I suppose it's the blueprint of the game dictates your plan. You don't have yeah. to try and make something and uncertain what a winning total is. You know, okay, we need four and over. If we only get two in the first 10, that's okay because we'll catch up. Yeah. Excellent. Now, let's get into your mindset. Obviously, still learning, still growing and still developing, but at your age, you're an incredibly mature young man. You've done some good things in the game. Um, like I said, the most amount of minutes out of anyone in Wacker Premier Cricket is a, is a really um, great achievement. But when you're starting your innings, what do you focus on? What are you thinking about when you're walking out to bat and starting your innings? You're looking for certain balls. You look only scoring in certain areas. What's your game plan? When I'm walking out to bat, I... Um think okay I'm going to leave well in the first few overs they can bowl to me pretty much that's the way I look at it anything fifth sixth seventh stump there's no point in me playing it unless it's probably a genuine half volley or a long hop I'd rather them as a bowler they run in 20 or 30 meters run their ass off and bowl the ball and if a batsman's leaving it it almost feels like they wasted a ball so they're going, they're going to get bored eventually and they're going to get more tired the more you just leave them so I, people don't realize how important sometimes a leave is because you can't really get out playing a leave if it's off your stumps. Yep, and then where are you looking to score early? Um, I'll look to drive. I'll try and keep my drive as straight as possible unless it's swinging big and then I'll try and turn and go with the swing to a extra cover. Cover. Um, if they drop short and I know what the, the pace of the wicket's like, I'll look to pull and cut and then pretty much if they get straight, I'll try and flick it. But I'm pretty, pretty limited. I'll just play within my, my strengths and yeah, what I know I can simple. do. And that's what you did well against when we played you guys and facing Josh and Garth and bowlers with pace was just sort of waiting for them to get too straight and punching the ball a bit, uh, which was very impressive. Now, post-ball, pre-ball, in-between ball, do you have a routine? Do you follow something? You're someone who's very fidgety. You like yeah. you like touching things. You can't stand still whether you're at the striker's end or non-striker's end. But what's your routine like in-between ball? In-between balls, I was watching videos earlier in the season of what my routine was and every ball no matter what I go to square leg and just think about what it does what I try and have a clear mind in between balls but it's left pad right pad box fidget with my gloves touch the helmet tap twice take guard re-scratch the leg stump and then I'm face up yeah and that's my every ball yeah right and mentally are you sort of like I talk about reflect, relax, reset, refocus. Are you sort of trying to think about what happened that ball and how they're trying to get you out? Or are you sort of just sort of letting it just go and, and not worrying too much, looking at things in the distance and then sort of setting and refocusing? That's your physical reset. And then what about when they're running in? Do you say anything when the ball is running in? I, I don't usually say much when the ball is running in. I try and keep my head as clear as possible. But I know that I've just got to watch that ball that close. Yeah. That's what I think. That's it, keep it simple. Now, when you've had a bad net, 
or a bad match or that period yet you sort of got three ducks in a row how do you how do you overcome that what are the skills you've learned or what are the things you do to overcome um, a bad net session or a bad match a bad net session i used to take it really personally probably a year or two ago i was i used to get really frustrated and annoyed at myself if i have a bad net and i used to go into the game day like oh i've had a bad net rada rada but towards the the start of this year and leading into the towards the end i used to have a bad net and I wouldn't say I didn't care about it, but I just knew however I hit him in the nets isn't going to affect how I play on Saturday. If I've got a little weakness that I'll get frustrated with, I'll, I'll hit it and try and groove it so it's not there anymore. But if I nick off to good balls and, you know, you don't have the, the... Sometimes your training wickets aren't that great, but I'll just... I know that so I'm, all, I'm all right, I'm sweet, good balls. Yeah. Well, I saw that you know, firsthand where we had a hit... <laughs> We had a hit, um, Richo, early season, you were getting frustrated and annoyed and, and really quite angry at yourself and whatever. And then we had a hit down here at Leeming a few months later and I think I had the swinger ball and third ball, I, I got you out, yeah. chopped on. And, um, and you were just you just laughed about it. You were just, ah, good bowling, whatever. And then you refocused and you, and you played better in that net than you did in the net where you were getting angry and frustrated. So that's something you've had to learn is it, to, to really control those emotions and not get too angry at yourself. Yeah, and those emotions mainly show up in the nets because I've got really high standards. I, I like my training to be really proper and with a purpose. So getting out and you do get frustrated when you, you have really high standards. It's a bit different when you're playing the game in that because if, if you're a fieldsman, you see a batsman getting really frustrated, it's the best thing you want to see as you're a fielder. Yeah. So if I swing and miss in a game, I think this is my day because I'm not nicking them. And I really like it. So other guys, other batters might look at it differently. If they're playing and missing, they might get a bit flustered and frustrated. But I think that's my day. I'm missing them. I'm not nicking them. Yep, yep. Nice, nice, good approach. Now, this is something I ask all of our guests on here. Um, you being younger and still very early in your career, it might not be something you do. Um, but when you're playing T20 cricket as opposed to two-day cricket, the longer format, do you change anything or what do you change technically? What do you change tactically? And what do you... Um, change mentally? Oh, good question. Um, the best piece of advice I've got in T20 cricket in my life was from one of the Rocky Manor coaches. He said, the first two overs of the game, they're yours. He says, I don't care how you play. You can block them, you can leave them, you can do whatever you want, they're yours. And I felt like that was the best piece of advice ever. I can be none off six. That's all right. This that, is opening the batting. Opening the batting, yeah. of course, yeah. Yep. So that first two overs is yours. After that, you have to take the game on and play to your strengths pretty pretty much. Yeah. And that has helped me in T20 cricket a lot. In in one day cricket, it's been the first eight to 10 overs, that's yours, you can play how you want. Yeah. After that, team orientated. Yeah, so it's just about taking more risk early on in T20 cricket, so you'll still give yourself two overs. Yeah. One day cricket, eight to 10 overs. Two day cricket, you can bat like that all day. Yeah. But it's, and then after the two overs, it's about sort of looking to score, taking a bit more risk. Yeah. And even when you take those high-risk shots in T20 cricket, you've still got to give yourself a chance to be able to play those. And if you haven't had a look at five or six balls, you're not giving yourself the best chance. Yep. So I think that's even advice middle-order batters can do. The first two or three overs are yours. Yep. Play how you want. After that, you can start taking the game on. When you... And I know this answer, but just share with everyone, do you change anything technically? And like mentally, obviously, you're giving yourself that time, but tactically... Like, are you changing where you're trying to hit or, or, or yeah? Tactically, I'll, I'll try and hit the ball where the bowler doesn't want me to. And 
that can be death batting, top order batting, and you can look at the field and you can see where they're going to try and bowl. And I feel like just trying to hit the ball where the bowler doesn't want you to in white ball cricket, that's pretty big. If they've got three out in the leg side that deep and finally got, they're obviously going to try and bowl slow into the wicket, get your hit out there. So trying to just change where you are in your stance, change your setup, change your grip even a little bit, just to try and access those other grounds to make him, make him hit where you don't want him to. Yeah, nice, nice. Now, something we speak about, but again, give um, our viewers the insight, tinkering. What are your thoughts on tinkering? Marnus um, shared a great masterclass recently where he spoke about how he wasn't happy with his grip during the test series, so he's worked hard on getting his grip round and it's allowed him to sort of hit down the ground better and made him a bit more free-flowing. What are your thoughts on tinkering versus staying with what works and what you know is successful? The, the tinkering, I'm a really big fan of. Um, if you, you don't tinker and you stay really stubborn with your technique and something bad comes along, like a bowler who finds a little weakness or you get found out a bit and you don't tinker, it, it can really play into the, the other guy's hands. It can play to a bit of a disadvantage. So tinkering, I think, is really important. Um, the, start, the first four or five rounds of the year, I had a really high backlift. And I felt like when I was going through the ball, I couldn't engage my left side as much as I could with a lower back lift and then lifting. That's just something that I, I tinkered with throughout the year. I, I, I um, change my V up a little bit sometimes, whether I point it more towards the left-hand side of the edge or towards more the spine. I just I tinker a bit. Nothing too major where it's you're changing your whole setup and changing yourself as a batsman and a player. Yeah. It's just tinkering to make you... to something that feels more comfortable to yourself. Yeah, try and be that little bit better, excellent. Now, final few questions, you shared so many great insights for such a young guy. What do you do to get away from the game? What do you do to have a break? To get away from the game, working's actually been really good for me. I used to just go to school with all my cricket mates and just talk cricket at school, go to training, talk cricket, get home, talk cricket. So working with people who don't actually care about cricket, it's been really good because you can go there, you can mow your grass, do all that type of stuff, and that having a focus on something else apart from cricket's been really important. Yeah. So working's been awesome. I like my golf. I've, I'm not, although I'm not great at it, I do like playing and talking up how good I am when I'm really not. <laughs> um, so yeah, I really enjoy playing golf, and family time I've started to cherish a lot more. Yeah, nice. Excellent. Now, you've seen a lot of good young players. You've, you've seen a lot of good older players in grade cricket, um, obviously watched a lot, and you're a cricket sort of tragic what do, what do you think are the um, attributes of the best players you've seen? The attributes of the, of the best players, it's every player I've seen that's succeeded is their work ethic. Whether it's at training or in at a game, they always just want to be better than anyone else. They want to hit more balls. They want to train harder. They want to run further. And it's just their, their drive to be better than anyone else. I feel like most players, most of the better players have. Yeah, yeah excellent. Now couple of forward-looking questions. We're sitting here, uh, maybe not in this house or this couch, but in 25 years, you've retired from the game. What do you hope to have achieved in the game? Oh, geez, that's a big question. Um, would like to have had a, have a baggy green. Um, I know Pekovsky sat here and said 30 test hundreds, but I'd like to just have half of those. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah what else? Um, played lots of years for WA and had a pretty influential career on younger generation and the, this generation and everything. 
Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm sure you're going to get there and I'll be with you this every step of the way. So um, now what is the next few months? What is the winter? What does this off-season look like for you? You're obviously in the middle of a break. You haven't picked up a bat since the season ended five weeks ago, six weeks ago, whatever it is. How long are you going to have a break for it? And then what, look, what does it look like beyond that? Um, I probably won't have a break for... Um, sorry, I'll probably keep having my break for another month or two. I've got a, a trip coming up in late July, so probably... A month or two before that, I'll probably a month I'll start getting back into it and keep grooving my technique and getting fit, more fit. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll probably won't pick up a bat for still a little while. And then the key is you have a, a three month break and then you go hard for nine months, don't you? You really yep. hit lots of balls, get yourself ready, get fit, get your gym work done, etc., so that you can go for nine months without much of a break at all. So. Mate, I really appreciate your time. Um, it's been great uh, hearing a bit more about your story, although, as I said, I know a lot of it. But thank you for your um, insights. I'm sure there's a lot of youngsters. You've got your own little cults following it within Cricket Mentoring. <laughs> a lot of people love Teague and, and love seeing your stuff. So my final question, which I ask everyone within this podcast, is what is your definition of success? Definition of success is being... A good person. I love it. Very wise. What well are legend? Man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, guys. Hope you've enjoyed this conversation with 17-year-old Teague Wiley, who's getting his license very soon. Parents, <laughs> I hope so. Hopefully, <laughs> and his parents can no doubt going to be thrilled that they don't have to drive him all the way up from Mandra to <laughs> Perth five times a week. So, Teague, I'm sure everyone from the cricket mentoring community is going to be supporting your journey all along the way, and hopefully, we're all there when you get your baggy greens soon. Well done. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Cheers. Legends, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with T. I always say to my athletes that no one ever remembers the best 15, 17 or 19 year olds. It's the players that go on to have long, consistent careers that are remembered as great players. So Teague certainly isn't there yet. But hopefully some of our younger or older listeners will find some value in this episode as, regardless of his age, he is a deep thinker about the game and has had some success in recent times. Personally, I really do believe Teague has all the ingredients to have a long, successful career but only time will tell how it plays out. For now, I'm encouraging him to keep being humble and hungry, but also enjoy being a 17-year-old, as his time will come. Thanks to Teague for his time and for being so open and honest with us. I'm sure you've learned something, as I know I definitely have. If you enjoyed this episode, then I'd love it if you could please share it with a friend, a teammate, or a group of friends. Chuck the link in a WhatsApp or Facebook group or encourage someone who might find it interesting to listen to it. That's it for today's episode. I really hope you're enjoying these fascinating stories from amazing people that we're sharing with you guys. Thanks a lot for listening. Now it's time to go out and get it done, legends. Shop boy! Yeah.